Good morning. Hey, I'm Pastor Mark. I am so excited about today. I've been looking forward to this opportunity to sit down next to my friend and our other pastor here, Jeremy, uh, and just talk about some of the really awesome questions that uh, people have sent in. And there are so many are common questions. There's questions that everybody has that uh, a few people are brave enough uh, to put that out there. Yeah. So we're doing this together. It's a team effort, except that I did make all of the slides on my own. Yeah, like all 12 of them or something, right? Yeah. Right. I yeah. was here yesterday, wow. actually. I was here on a Saturday making I the slides. I can't believe it. A pastor here on a Saturday. But wow. we did it together. Other than that, it's, it's going to all be together. I do have to, I'm excited, but I do have to start with an apology. Yeah. I, I, you, I made this slide and you liked it. You said this was a good intro slide. It's a good slide. But after I made it, I realized there was an error. It's actually, it's not to scale. So this would be life size. All right. So... <laughs> Now we're well, Pastor Mark comes in on Saturdays, but I come in super early on Sunday mornings while he's still sleeping. Yeah. Everybody knows that. So I can fix all his mistakes from the day before. Uh. And uh, so when I come in, I saw this slide. I was going to fix it. And then I realized, I thought it was about egos. Oh, I and see. And so I left it the way it was. I see. Left it the way it was. Yeah. All right. Very good. So let's jump into uh, the questions. So the big question today is, Holy Trinity Sunday. And it's kind of what sparked this whole idea here is that of all the holidays in the, in the Christian church year, Easter and Christmas and even Pentecost, something's happening, right? Jesus is born. A good Friday, he's crucified. He rises. The Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes down. This is like the one holiday which is really not about an event, right? It's kind of about this concept, this existence of God, the Holy Trinity, and so we know there's one God, we know there's three persons, and uh, beyond that, it, it's really a lot of speculation. Um, so this is actually a very ancient illustration. Uh, I can't give it credit. I don't know, was it Aquinas or Augustus? I don't know. I don't know either. Somebody originally came up with this long, 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 long time ago, just to kind of illustrate the truth uh, that Scripture reveals, and that is that the Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. And yet, they're distinct. Right? The Father is not the Son. The Father is not the Holy Spirit, and the Son is not the Holy Spirit. It's uh, uh, three distinct persons, yet there is only one God. And this is something that I think, I've seen people like in children's messages over and over again try to take something that has three parts and try to shape it into the Trinity, and it's super hard for us to be able to look at. You're taking a, a concept that is all of these things in one all the time, yet distinct also, and trying to apply it to something physical that we have here on earth. And anytime we take something physical that makes sense in our minds and try to compare it to God, I think there's a, a mistake that happens there. We're trying to compare something. It doesn't translate. It, they're a language that, that don't make sense. But you made a point this morning that I thought was so strong. The concept of looking at, it's not just trying to, to make sense of this in our mind of how they function together, but the roles that all three as one really play in our life. Yeah, so a lot of times we, we stop at this point and uh, we're trying to peer into heaven and see how God exists within himself. You know, how, what's the relationship, the Father, the Son? What was it like before creation, like from eternity? Like, how did this work? I mean, all analogies fail and break down at some point, 
But when you're talking about like analogies for the Trinity, like it breaks down almost immediately. Yeah. There's just no, no comparison. So at that point, a lot of people say, okay, well, what's the big deal? We can't understand it. Let's just forget about it. Let's mm-hmm. not, not worry about it, not put a lot of emphasis on it. Uh, but for some reason, it seems to be a very much at the bedrock of our faith, uh, very important uh, to all the generations who come before us, this doctrine of the Trinity. And we just uh, confess the Apostles' Creed. That's what it is. It's the breaking down of the triune God. God the Father, creator, you know, the maker of heaven and earth. God the Son does all these things, redeems us. God the Holy Spirit, he sanctifies us. So they have a specific role. And so instead of worrying about how God exists within himself in, from eternity to eternity, I'll tell you what's really important, how God interacts with us. How does God work in my heart? How does he work in the world? How does God work through the church in the world? And that is very clear in Scripture, and it's very easy to understand. Mm-hmm. And maybe backing up just a, a tiny bit, that word Trinity is never even mentioned in the Bible. Not in one place, in one fashion, but that doesn't mean that it's a, a man-made concept. When we look at the pages of Scripture, you see those elements mentioned over and over again of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I think about that every time I'm baptizing someone because Jesus is actually the one who gives us those words. He doesn't say baptize them in the name of the Trinity, but he does say baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it's not just that one place we see that. This happens over and over again in Scripture. Even in Jesus' baptism is the Son is being baptized, and it says the Holy Spirit comes and descends on him in the form of a dove, and the heavens open, and this voice from heaven, the Father, says, this is my Son, whom I love, whom I am well pleased. And you see all three members of that Trinity existing there. So it's not a man-made concept. It's simply just a word that maybe isn't mentioned in Scripture, but it has a foundation that goes throughout the pages. Good, yeah. And uh, just so how does God work? So God the Father creates the creator of heaven and earth, right? He gives these humans he wants to uh, dwell with, and yet we sin, we, we sever that relationship with our maker. And we would be lost forever, except that God the Father sends his son to save us. In Luke 20, verse 13, Jesus is telling the parable of the tenants of the vineyard. Uh, the owner of the vineyard goes off, leaves people in charge. He sends a messenger to go get a little bit of the crop from you know last year, check on things. Well, the people that are working the vineyard just beat up this owner servant and kick him out. They send another servant, same thing, beat him up, send him away. Finally, the owner in verse 13, he says, I know, I will send them my son. They will respect him. And this is a parable of the whole story of God's people, right? God sent prophets to Israel over and over again. They ignored them, they beat them, they killed some of them. And finally, God said, I will send my son. And Jesus comes to fulfill God's law for us to pay for our sins on the cross, to rise from the dead. He accomplishes that salvation. That he takes away that sin that had separated us from our maker. So he did the work of our salvation. And then in John 15 and Luke 24, uh, Jesus says, uh, the advocate that was promised to you, I will send to you. So after Jesus ascends, he sends us the Holy Spirit. So The Father sends the Son to accomplish our salvation. The Son sends the Holy Spirit. Now, what does the Holy Spirit do? Well, Acts chapter 2, it's the day of Pentecost, the day the Holy Spirit shows up. Um, Peter stands up and he preaches 
the very first sermon, he says, this Jesus whom you crucified, God raised from the dead. The Holy Spirit points people to Jesus. So important. Uh, no uh, other churches, I guess, kind of get lost in the excitement of the Holy Spirit. But when the Holy Spirit comes on the scene, he doesn't say, oh, look at me. Look at all the tricks I can do. Right? His sole mission, his only desire is for everybody to look to Jesus for help. Why? Because in uh, John 14, it's actually verse 6. That was a typo up there, not 23. Who made so, the slides? Yeah, I did. Oh. And who proofread them this morning? Yeah. All right. John 14, 6 said, uh, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father, Father except through me. So, Father sends the Son. The Son sends the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit points us to Jesus, and Jesus is the only way back to our Creator, the only way we can be right with Him again. And so that's why I would say the, the concept, the, well, it's not even a concept, the reality that God is triune mm. is very, very important in knowing how He works in our lives. I like it. All right, let's move on to the next one. Jude 5, uh, by the way, that just says Jude 5. If you did not know it, the book of Jude doesn't have multiple One. chapters. Yep. Yeah, it's, it doesn't even have, I guess, a chapter, so it's technically verse 5. So Jude 5, it says, uh, Though you are already all know this, I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. And so here's that question that we received. I didn't think that Jesus came into the picture until his birth. And that's an easy concept, I think, for people to be able to take in as a fallacy at times, right? We celebrate on Christmas the birth of Christ. And so the birth of anything as we know it is that first element, that's right? the beginning. Yeah, the birth of a, an idea of a person. And so that seems like this is the beginning of Christ. But really, again, as we fade back to that concept of the Trinity... This is something that has always existed. You know, Christ was there in the beginning. That was the scripture verse that I wrote down when I thought about this from John chapter 1, uh, verses 1 and 2. Uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, referring to Jesus, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And it's talking about since this very, uh, just before anything was even made, before creation even, even starts, that Christ is there with the Father, with the, the Holy Spirit, in this element of creation. Not that Christ was, was held off of this member of the Trinity that doesn't show up until Christmas morning, but is always there, always working on our behalf. I mean, it would be the same thing to say, when Jesus dies, he doesn't fade out of our life, right? That isn't the end of Christ. God doesn't just die there in a moment, and that's it. He is still a piece of this, this Trinity, and so part of this question is just, you know, looking back and seeing who Jesus is as a member of that, you know, Godhead and not just as this one individual born here on earth. Yeah, I think that's a, kind of the underlying question there is, did, was, did Jesus exist before Christmas? Was he around before uh, he was born on earth? And obviously he was. He's part of the triune God. God is eternal. And a uh, good uh, reference there from um, uh, John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, Word was with God. The Word was, and then it goes on uh, later in those verses to say, uh, nothing was, well, everything that was created was created through the Word. Nothing that was created was created without the Word. So Jesus was there at the very beginning, a part of creation. And since it's Trinity Sunday, I'll throw in the Holy Spirit. That goes back to the old, the very first chapter of the Bible, the first second verse. 
Genesis 1, 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and the Spirit of God hovered over, called the darkness. Um, the Holy Spirit's there from the very beginning. So is the Son, so is the Father. Now, technically, in this question, there's a, a little bit of... Uh, we, we, so we've got some obstacles um, reading an English Bible. It's a translation, okay? It's a translation. Um, that's why uh, in our church, uh, make a big <laughs> emphasis on, uh, you know, learning Hebrew and learning Greek before, uh, before you start even seminary. It's a prerequisite before you even get any master's level credits. But anyway, that's another story. Um, but uh, so what happens is uh, the English word Lord gets used to cover several different words in those other languages. Uh, and so I'll give you an example. In Exodus chapter 3, God appears to Moses in the burning bush. You know, go, you know, let my people go and, uh, you know, leave my people out of Egypt. And Moses, you know, who am I going to tell them? Sent me. God says, you tell them, I am. Yahweh has sent me. That's the Hebrew word, Yahweh. Uh, if you've heard the word Jehovah, anybody familiar with Jehovah? Hey, that's just a Latinized version of Yahweh. Because, see, there actually is no J in the Hebrew alphabet. It's, it's Y, Yahweh. Uh, but at any rate, uh, so when you're reading your Bibles, we get a little bit of help. If you see all capital letters... L-O-R-D, all caps. The Hebrew word there is actually, it's Yahweh. It's his name, Mark or Jeremy. Uh, but if you see regular, I guess, L-O-R-D, the Hebrew word there is Adonai. And that's not a name, that's a title. It's like, yes, sir. Like we would use the word sir today. Um, so you can try that, I guess, if you're reading your Bibles. You see all cap Lord, you, just say, you can actually say the word Yahweh as you're reading it. And then the Greek, too, kurios is obviously the, the Greek word there. But um, at any rate, so in Jude 5, uh, when we talk about my Lord, well, and then what was it, our uh, epistle reading today, was uh, David said, my Lord said to my Lord, come sit here and all your enemies have made your footstool. Um, Lord Yahweh versus Lord I don't. Anyway, point is, I guess, it gets, uh, you can get confused really quickly about all that. But you're going to confuse people to keep going, yeah. <laughs> but here's what's really cool. What does it mean if you know somebody's name? If I say, hey, Eric, how you doing today? How the girls been this week? Right? <laughs> if I say, somebody, if you know somebody's name, you have a relationship with them. So think about Exodus 3, the very beginning of the story. It's like second book of the Bible, chapter 3. God comes down to Moses and he says, hi, I am Yahweh. Right? I want to have that kind of personal relationship with each and every one of you. It's powerful when you know somebody's name. And now we even know uh, the name of God the Son. It, we prophesied before he was even born. Uh, Mary will have a son, and his name will be Jesus. Again, J, the Latinized version, the Hebrew, his name, they called him Yeshua. Yeshua Yah from Yahweh, the God, Shua means save, God saves. Uh, so there in his name even is what he's come to do, to do for us. All right, next question. Got to keep moving. Number three is Einstein's. This is a real question. You want me to we ask make it? this out? Sure, All sure. Right. Does Einstein's special theory of relativity shed light, uh, pun intended, on the nature of God? So when I first saw this, 
my mind kind of spun the question back on well, itself. Can we flesh that out a little bit first? <laughs> yeah, go for it, yeah. Okay, okay, good. <laughs> so really, really simply, uh, and obviously this is not you know, a scientific paper by any means, but essentially what Einstein discovered is that the speed of light is constant, okay? It's constant. Uh, and there's a relationship between energy and mass and light. But if the speed of light is constant, it's always the same, that means energy and mass have uh, a relationship, an inverse uh, relationship, I guess. So if you're traveling near the speed of light, mass can't travel at the speed of light, uh, but we can get, theoretically get really, really close to it. Essentially, uh, mass will decrease, energy increases, and basically time slows down. So if we sent somebody to another galaxy at the speed of light and they came back 10 years later, okay, for us, we would all be 10 years older, but if they were traveling at the speed of light, they essentially would still be the same age. Right? All right, everybody got that? All right. So now, <laughs> let's apply it to God. So I guess, so, and I've thought about this too. Again, all these questions are common questions that people, people have. So is there something about... Uh, eternity, God existing for eternity. Like, so if you travel at the speed of light, essentially all mass goes away to zero. It's all energy, and time basically stops. So is that a way that God can exist forever? Is that a way that we will exist forever? I think that's probably underlying that big question right there. I think that, so to simplify it way down then, I think that is the question, you know, uh, does God use these things in our world, and what does that look like? And that's what I was talking about, how I kind of reversed the question when I read it. And so my question would be, does the, does the nature of God physically uh, or even just literally shed light upon things of this world for us to be able to understand? Because more and more, our society is growing in technology or growing in knowledge and all of these things really, I think, draw us closer and closer to who God is. They don't separate us from who he is or tell us something that's contrary to God. Because God and science really work hand in hand. Because number one, God creates science. Number two, when we ask any of these questions, we can say that God is, is all-powerful. He can do all things. And the scripture verse that I wrote down for this one was Colossians 1 verse 16. It says, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And so when we're thinking about anything in our world that allows us to dig deeper, that we have questions about, think about all of that, that everything was created by him, for him. So again, not digging so deep into these, not that we don't want to have knowledge, but recognizing that in every role we play, or even everything in creation plays, should all be celebrating and worshiping God in those elements. Yeah, so before the Enlightenment, before rationalism kind of took everything over in the Western culture, um, at the university, uh, theology was always considered the queen of the sciences. Uh, so if, if you studied anything uh, from language to mathematics, to astronomy, biology, you were discovering, you were learning about God's creation. Uh, you were uncovering, revealing 
things, the truths that God has, has put into our world, laws of physics and so forth. So um, I think maybe, like you said, to turn it around, instead of uh, does the theory of relativity shed light on God's nature, I think God's nature is revealed through uh, the theory of relativity. I think God exists outside of his universe. He created it. He exists outside of even time and space, which again, now we're blowing our minds again. Um, but that shouldn't surprise us when we talk about God and <laughs> ask questions about God. Um, now there is, though, light plays a very important role throughout Scripture and even from the very, very beginning. So there is something significant about light in God's creation. In the third verse of the entire Bible, Genesis 1, 3, uh, God said, let there be light, and there was light. This is before he created the sun and the stars and the moon and the planets. And So what was this light, this energy or whatever it was? And here's something that I think is really cool. Uh, I expect somebody to say, wow, because everybody over there just slept through this. But check this out. All right, so you learned this in school, right, that the universe is expanding, right, even as we speak. The universe is expanding at the speed of light. And we think, how is that even possible? Why is that happening? Well, because when God said, let there be light, he never said stop. Think about it. It is amazing. It is amazing. The words that we read from Genesis 1, God's creation is still happening today. It's still going. It's incredible. Those words were spoken thousands, how many ever you want to say years ago, that it's still going on today. Wow. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. Let me take the next one. Yeah. So <laughs> this, this is, all yours. These are, these are, every question is from a member of the church except the, this number four here. We get comments on our YouTube channel. So I did a, a devotion a few weeks ago, I think, on the rapture. Let's talk about the rapture, whatever came up in pop culture. And so I got multiple. I just grabbed a couple. But these are uh, random people that are, are telling us, warning us that... Uh, and I block all the crazy people, so you, don't, you won't actually see them on our YouTube channel. But anyway, I pulled them out for, for, the, for today. Uh, uh, so somebody looked at a comet, and it's going to go from Leo to Capricorn, I don't know, whatever it says, and the, this constellation is going to stop there. And so on September the... 11th. Uh, yeah, 11th. At 11.11, 11 hours, 11 minutes, that might very well be the time of the rapture. Everybody say, ooh. No, I don't think so. First of all, 11-11, what, Eastern? Mountain Standard? I mean, I want to know. I want to be ready. <laughs> Maybe it's like a wave, you know? And obviously, the, 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 biggest, the biggest error that people make here is that Jesus made it so clear. No one knows the day or the hour. No one knows. Not the angels in heaven. And he said, not even me as the man, as the human son of God. Only the Father knows. So anybody who says it's all going to happen, it's the end of the world or the rapture or whatever, on this day and this time, you can pretty much say, hmm, yeah, I don't think so. I thought it was very interesting, though, because when Pastor Mark did this devotion, I told him I looked at the views, and the views of this particular devotion were, like, way more than twice the views of any— Yours? 
No, I mean, you know, the, the, the devotions <laughs> that, that we usually do, cash. they're all on my side, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 there were more views, but it's because people were finding it, and they were interested in it. You know, people around the world who are thinking about this, what does the end times mean? What does it mean that I'm looking forward to Christ coming back? And I think that's fine, being able to think forward about that. But as Pastor Mark said, we don't need to be trying to guess the date. The big thing is always living our life as if today is the day that Jesus is going to come back. And that way you, you will know that you're going to be right. But using every day to be able to worship him and to be able to glorify him. Not just trying to figure out the time so we can do anything we want to up until that point And then know that he's showing up that day. Yeah, good. And I just want to be real clear uh, for historic Christianity... Catholics or Greek Orthodox or Lutherans, Presbyterians, whatever. Uh, any churches have been around more than 200 years. Um, uh, the whole concept of rapture, even the word that's written in the Bible, was invented just a couple hundred years ago. So Jesus' disciples weren't talking about the rapture. The early church, church fathers weren't talking about a rapture. Um, the reformers 500 years ago weren't talking about a rapture. It's all invented, actually, I can, it's a long story, two women in England, 1800s, one had a dream, they went to their pastor, you can read a book about it. Um, but the point is, Jesus is going to come back one time, right, his second advent, he's going to come back one time, and instantly, we're all going to be changed into our glorified bodies, our eternal bodies, and the new heavens and the new earth will appear instantly like that. Nobody's going to get sucked away, and people are still here on earth, and Jesus comes back for a third time, and then he reigns, and he comes back for a fourth time, and yeah, ignore it. Next question, why would God create angels if he knew Satan and others would rebel against him? And just like uh, Nicodemus asked Jesus a question, and Jesus replied with a question, I will answer this with a question. Why would I have kids if I knew they were going to rebel against me and suck up all my resources? Um, next question. Oh, I'm sorry. Did you want to comment on evil spirits? I think it's a very valid question, right? And I mean, looking at that exact question, it's a great question. I'm not making fun of the no, question. No, no, but that, that's a good that's a good answer because I think you could take that word angels and sub out the word people or humans, you know, you and I, and ask the same thing. Why would God create us if all we're going to do is cause him problems? If he knew that we were going to sin, if he knew that we were going to continue to sin even after he sends us Jesus? Well, he, he does that because of his love for us and because he has a purpose for us to be able to be united with him and to be able to share his gospel, just as angels have a super big purpose on our earth to be able to be protectors, to be able to be messengers. They deliver some of the greatest words ever unto the human race of being able to share of Jesus who will be born unto you, who will take away the sins of the entire world. Uh, Michael and Gabriel, uh, two of the angels mentioned within Scripture that play these major roles. And God has a major passion. A lot of times I think we focus on the negative of why would God create this if it was going to be bad? Well, there's so much good that comes along with that, too. And the good part of any of those questions really is back to our Lord's love. He does all of these things out of his love. Exactly. And I think I mean, even another analogy, we, I think we'd be on the same page here. Why would we 
get married when our wives are going to turn the thermostat down to 60 degrees and take all the covers. My wife's in here. Yours is in a different building oh, teaching my kids. Bad. So, yeah. My bad. The, point is, the point is love will, uh, uh, believes all things, hopes all things, love endures all things. Uh, love never ends. So you, you did it for love. Yeah. Exactly. All right, next one. Number six, uh, why were there so many demon or evil spirit possessions of people in the Bible? Again, I think with this question, you could say the same thing and swap out that word possession. You could say, why were there so many miracles in the Bible? And now are those miracles still occurring today? What about demon possessions? Are they still occurring today? And we could figure out the same thing about Christ, right? Why did Christ come at this exact moment in time to this exact place? Well, all of these things were done because it was placed there by God's will. To be able to use Jesus at that moment in time, to be able to use these miracles as we hear in Scripture to prove to people that he is the Christ. And part of that uh, proving was being able to cure these people of these possessions that happened during this time. I think uh, it's evident that where there is no written word of God, no record of what God has done, creator, redeemer, sanctifier, um, that these miracles, whether it's casting out demons, healing, whatever, um, are, are testimonies to uh, the authenticity of the word that the missionary or apostle was speaking to the people. And I think it does still happen in parts of the world where there is no written scripture. My uh, Hebrew professor at seminary spent 10 years uh, before that as a missionary in, in South America, in the Amazon jungles, tribes, they have witch doctors, and obviously didn't have a Bible. And he saw things, experienced things that just make the hair stand up on the back of my neck. He's like, wow. I mean, this stuff is real. There's a, there is a real spiritual realm, and there's a real spiritual war. Uh, that goes on, and uh, God uh, shows us that he's in control of it all. Mm-hmm. I think the reason there's so many uh, possessions, so demon possessions, so many exorcisms, we'll call it, there's so many times where we see Jesus casting out spirits, is to show us, to prove to us, that he has power over even that, our biggest, baddest, probably scariest enemy, so that, as James tells us, if we submit ourselves to God, if we resist the devil, he will flee from you. You don't have to be scared of him. You've got Jesus in your heart. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. He cast out demons like we throw away a piece of paper. We don't have to be afraid of these things. Uh, we're, on, we're on God's side. I think that's a good point to make on that, just not having that, that fear that is there, because some people do tend to have that fear when that subject matter comes up. All right, let's look at the next one. Number seven, since Jesus is God, this is actually from one of our confirmation students, and I thought it was a great question. Since Jesus is God, uh, wasn't his crucifixion a sacrifice of God to God? And I guess in some ways you could say it it seems that way, right? But it goes back to that principle of the, the Trinity. It's so unique in trying to put all these things together at one time and put them in this nice box and tie a ribbon on it and say, oh, now I understand that. I don't even know if I could tell you 
I completely understand why God says, uh, I'm going to sacrifice my son for your sins. He could have done anything, but he chooses to be able to do this in this manner. Uh, the fact when we have communion here and we say this is the, the body and the blood of Jesus, I can't tell you how that, how that works, but I do know that God tells us that that is the truth, that that is in his word, and so we take that at face value, and I think it's similar with this. God tells us that Jesus is his son and that this is a sacrifice that is made unto him, and in this moment, yeah, you see God actually give of himself, but at the same time, Yes, God is receiving of this sacrifice. So it's this complicated element, uh, not of God to God, but of these different distinct persons that are there. There are so many paradoxes in uh, the world, so many paradoxes as we look up at God and things he's done that uh, seem so contradictory to each other. Again, we start with the Trinity, one God. There's three persons. So there's three gods? No, there's one God. Oh, okay, so there's one person, those three persons. It's just beyond our comprehension. You can go to the incarnation. You know, we, we usually just kind of accept that. Jesus was born. Great. Think about that, though. 100% truly God and 100% truly man into one person. Well, that doesn't, add, that doesn't match our arithmetic. It's got to be 50-50, but it wasn't. It was holy and totally and truly God and man. Uh, you talk about this, the crucifixion. God, by the definition of God, cannot die. And yet on the cross, Jesus dies. Absolutely. Uh, so one thing is that if you can fully comprehend and fully explain your God, I'm not sure how impressive that God is. Uh, the other thing is that he is so far beyond our comprehension, and he reveals some things to us, and it's like, okay, I, I, we get a little bit of a picture, but then it's like, I've got so many questions about that. We're asking some of them today. It's like, well, if God would just answer that one question for me, you know what? If he answered that, it would probably open up like a million questions. Go, Wait a second. You're telling me that, I mean, it's just, he's given us what we need to know. And I, I guess it goes to the last question, doesn't it? It does. So somebody sent me this question this week. It was way more detailed than this, but one that I think a lot of people have to ask. It basically comes down to, uh, how do I know that I'm saved? And for some of you here today, maybe you're fine with that. And with others of us, maybe it's something we struggle with sometimes. Of thinking, how do I know if I've ever done enough? What if I've done things in my past that are just so bad? How do I know that God can actually forgive me? And, you know, none of us would ever know that. If that's how we tried to create our salvation off of what we've done that's good or what we've done that's bad, we would, we would never make it there. But the, the good news that Pastor Mark and I have for all of you here today is it's not based off of what we have or have not done, but based off of what Christ has done for us. And the scripture passage I wrote down for this today, uh, and I hope this goes directly to the hearts of a whole bunch of people, is Romans 10 verse 9 simply says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And that's not me or Pastor Mark telling you that today. That's God. You believe that in your heart. You know that to be true. We confess him with our lips. You will be saved. And that's the beauty of the gospel and the grace that we receive from God. 
that no matter who we are, no matter what we've done, you are his child that he created, wants to have a relationship with, and wants to continue that in heaven one day. And God's will is for all to come to the knowledge of faith. God's will is for all people to be saved. And his will is that we are very much assured of his love for us. And so when we talk about the means of grace, the ways that God delivers his grace to us, you think of these as, these are conduits, like from God's throne, where he pours down upon us his grace, his forgiveness, and love. And so through God's word, Right? The Holy Spirit is working to create faith, to strengthen faith uh, through the sacraments, baptism and Holy Communion. Uh, again, we are receiving that grace right then and there in time and place. So we know that it happened. We know God doesn't mess up. And for me, it's, it's really uh, amazing if you think about God working in the world. Uh, God has created us and given us five senses, right? You know the five senses? And think about the means of grace. God comes to us through every single sense that he's given us. We experience God in every possible human way on this earth. We hear the word of God read to us. We can see the words on the page. We can see the water. We can feel the water from our baptism dripping down our face. We can taste the bread. We can smell the wine. It's real. It happened. Did God forgive me? Did God save me? Oh, yes, he did. On this day at this time, and he renewed that promise again and again, this Sunday and this Sunday and next Sunday when I received communion, when I heard God's word of forgiveness from the pastor. It's real. It's happening right here in time and space. That's the amazing thing to me about that. Mm-hmm. So I would just say, if, if you're worried about not being saved, that probably means you're saved. It means you fear, love, and trust in God above all things. You want to be with God. You want to be forgiven. And God wants that for you too. He's not trying to put up obstacles or roadblocks to keep people out. He is opening the door wide and clearing the path for as many who will come and put their trust in Jesus. So I guess if you're worried about it, that means you don't have to worry about it, right? You got it. Yeah. All right, why don't I close for us in prayer, and if you want to do the benediction, then we'll go from there. Uh, Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity uh, to be here, and we just follow your word. Lord, you tell us to ask and seek and knock, and that you will provide answers unto us. And so for anybody out there today, Lord, that has uh, questions about you, uh, we just ask a special dose of your Holy Spirit to be on their hearts, uh, to be able to continue to spur in us uh, both the answers and just a growth in our faith. Uh, that that isn't the end goal, Lord, just to be able to know more, but to be able to grow closer to you in everything that we do. Again, we praise you for this time that we've had here today. Uh, Allow your words to touch all of our hearts as we continue to know more and more about your son. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen.